Good morning, family. It is good to be with you this morning. If you do not have a Bible at this time, if you could just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you and give you a Bible. Um, if you have your Bible devices or uh, you know cell phones or actual Bible, go ahead and open those up and turn with me to the book of Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. Friends, this morning we are completing the book of Titus, and I'm super excited about that. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us this morning. It's my prayer that uh, this book has given you and I some insight into the importance of church organization, the need for elders, sound teaching, and also the dangers of false teaching and false teachers. If you were not with us last week, we witnessed Paul imploring Titus to remind the believers in Crete of what grace looks like applied to godly living. We contrasted the faithfulness of those who remain in the faith versus those whose hearts turned from the truth of the gospel. Paul's focus in last week's study showed us that it was God's grace and it was God's kindness that initiated this new life that we have in Jesus. You and I as believers in Jesus must recognize that the fruitfulness of our lives is a result of the faithfulness and of the kindness of God. We came to bear with the reality that this grace of God reached the worst of us. And if it could reach the worst of us, it most certainly could reach the Cretan. And therefore, friends, even in the 21st century, it could reach those who we would deem and who the world would deem as the unreachable. We also realize that the need to perform as Christians is not only a tiring work, but it is an unnecessary work. Why? Because everything that we are in Christ and everything that we do for Christ is because of Christ. The reality is the truth of the gospel realized in our hearts and in our minds transforms our way of life and it transforms our way of thinking. Paul concluded in verse 8 that what is profitable and what is good for the believer is right gospel accompanied with right living. And that demands not just partial obedience, but it demands full obedience, and it will render a whole life response. And if I were to tag the text this morning, as we end the book of Titus, I would simply say this, that fruitfulness, there is fruitfulness in faithfulness. There is fruitfulness in faithfulness. And with that being said, open up your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. These are the words of the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, 
for I have decided to spend the winter there. Verse 13, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos in their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unproductive. And lastly, verse 15, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, hide me behind your cross. Let the words of scripture jump off the page to transform our hearts, to conform us to the image of Jesus. Lord, if there be anything in us, as as David would say in Psalms, that is not clean, that is not right, will you reveal it to us? Will you make it known to us so that we may be repentant and turn to you? Lord, we cannot live this life on our own, but we are in constant need of you. We are in constant need of your word. Most importantly, we are in need of your spirit that transforms us. Lord, I ask that you hide me now behind your cross so that you may be seen, that you may be heard, and may you get the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you were a horticulturalist, what is the most exciting and most rewarding moments within their profession? They would tell you two things. First, planting, and the second, harvesting. Planting because there is an excitement in what is being sown with the hope that with the right love and the right care and the right cultivation, that it would bear fruit. Being able to witness the harvest and to see the fruit or result that comes from it is a testament of the grace and the care that has been provided. If you don't attend to the garden, it becomes susceptible to weeds and other irritants that can cause disruption and distress, ultimately resulting in hindrance to the growth in that garden. And these last seven verses of the letter of Paul to Titus will show the contrasting results between sound teaching and unsound teaching. It will show us this stark contrast between living in light of the gospel and living for our own desires. What we will witness this morning is if we do not take sound teaching, church organization, and the whole counsel of God seriously, it can lead down a terrible path of confusion, isolation, and destruction. But before I get ahead of myself, uh, pick me up again in verse 9 of Titus chapter 3. This is what Paul says. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Our our point, uh, pickup point this morning really sets us in the middle of an extremely hard break. We recently discussed the various things that Paul commands Titus to remind the believers in these home churches in Crete. These things were not only to be remembered, but to be practiced 
and lived out. It is towards the end of verse 8 that the Apostle Paul makes mention that these things are good and profitable for men. If you weren't with us last week, these things that Paul is referring to are the following, being submissive to governing authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good deed, and to be gentle and considerable to all men. And Paul will juxtapose these things with the things that should be reminded of and the things that we are to do, according to verses 1 through 8, with the things that the believer should avoid. That the believer should avoid. And Paul mentions that the believer should avoid several things. Here's that list. He says they should avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, and disputes about the law. Towards the beginning of our study, we mentioned a group of people within this body of believers called Judaizers. These false teachers would use the gospel message as a means to cause new believers to observe the law versus that of grace. You see, the false teacher's primary motive centered on this idea of religious babble versus the supremacy of Christ and his work on the cross. Apparently, these false teachers were so skillful at what they did that they were some believers who fell victim to their empty talk. And friends, as believers, we must be cautious of people who place unnecessary burdens upon the believers in Jesus, especially false teachers that can use the gift of gab and their oratory skills to infiltrate the church with false teaching. Paul mentions this same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses, 1 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, verses 3 through 4. Check it out. He says, just as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, verse 4, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation rather than advance the plan of God which is by faith. So I urge you now. You see, Paul's instructions for Titus regarding the false teacher was very straightforward. And this was the instruction. Pay these men no mind for the things that they say are useless and are not profitable for anyone to hear. Not only is the heretical teaching of the false teacher useless, but friends, it is extremely dangerous. This is why it is important that any man that the pastor invites into this pulpit must be a man of sound teaching and of right living. False teaching is so dangerous to those that hear it, especially those who are new to the faith, that it can cause what Paul says ruin to the hearer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words which is useless, and here it is, leads to the ruin of the hearers. To avoid such men becomes beneficial to the believer as it keeps them in alignment with the truth of the gospel. 
The word avoid here in the Greek is an extremely harsh word. It is peritesimai. It means to stand around or to shun. And the imagery here is someone being accused of something and those who find odds with what is being stated surround them in disapproval. And Paul continues on in the same thought in verses 10 and 11. Check it out. He says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning, being self-condemned. I need us to really pay close attention here to the text. This is paramount for us to understand the importance of sound teaching and church discipline. You see, we have discussed that it is biblical and it is necessary for elders to be established in churches because they bring order and they bring governance to protect the flock. Church discipline, friends, is a subject that uh, to some is extremely sensitive. Why? Because in some places, church discipline has been abused. In another sense, the proper actions were not accomplished in grace. So it is my prayer that as we understand and seek to understand this morning the importance of church discipline, that we also see its desired result. And Paul starts off by saying that the believer is uh, in the body is to reject a divisive person. This word reject in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to not associate or to reject this person, to shun them, to remove them away. But, but what I want to pay close attention to is the latter half of that verse. Paul mentions after, after a first and second warning. This person that Paul is speaking about has clearly heard the truth of the gospel, but has not shown repentance. This brings us up to an interesting question. Was this person that was in gospel community ever a believer in Jesus in the first place? I want to go back to our previous encounter uh, with Simon the magician and share some revelation that the Lord showed me in my deep study of this text. Uh, the text will be a bit lengthy, but bear with me again. Acts chapter 8 verses 9 through 24. I want to paint a picture for you. This is what the text says. Now a man named Simon had previously been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying this man is the power of God that is all called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, both men and women were being baptized. Verse 13, now even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was repeatedly amazed. Verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Check out the text who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy 
Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part of share in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent. There's that word again of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. And check out verse 24. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Friends, after spending some time in the text and examining the words and the actions of Simon the magician, it became very clear and I hope it is clear to you this morning, Simon never really believed. Simon the magician came across information about the gospel on an intellectual level, probably some emotional response and went along with what he saw. He got caught up in the gift of what he saw. He got caught up in the things that he saw. And this becomes confirmed because verse 17 shows us that the apostles were laying hands for folks to receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about it a few weeks ago that the Holy Spirit brings about conviction. It brings about the new birth. But what we see with Simon is completely opposite. Instead, Simon sees the gift of the Spirit. And he, in exchange for that, wants to give money in order to gain that in which he does not possess. This is why Peter's rebuke is so harsh. And is why verse 22, Peter tells Simon to do what? To repent. However, Simon's response is different. Check out verse 24. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Y'all, there there is no demonstration of relationship nor a repentant heart from Simon the magician. Rather, that Simon seeking repentance, which he can't because he does not have the Holy Spirit, he seeks Peter to pray for him instead. Simon the magician was simply in the crowd, a part of a group, but he was not a part of the true gospel community. And just like that, we can witness men and women who claim to know God on an intellectual level, but yet their hearts are far from him. These men that Paul is speaking about in Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 are either one or two things. Either one, they are at best misguided carnal Christians who will need to be disciplined by the Lord and repent, or two, they are unbelieving wolves in sheep's clothing. And friends, in all of this, I want you to see the grace of God regarding those in whom are the Lord's but have been caught up in lies. These individuals within this body here in Crete who have been caught up in false teaching are given the opportunity to be restored into community. 
This shows us something for certain that church discipline is intended to restore a brother or sister in Christ and not to lose them in fellowship. That if grace is not the first means to bring that person back to the fold, then we are operating outside of the scriptures. Paul, uh, pay attention and, and see this, that what happens if the believer does not come to grips with this reality? Paul says, you give them two warnings. The first warning, the second warning. And if they don't repent in that second warning, have nothing to do with them. And Paul makes it extremely clear that there is nothing that you and I can do in order to win that brother or sister over. That that discipline can only be achieved by God himself if they are truly believers. See, if repentance is not the result, friends, there was no belief to begin with. True repentance, not emotionalism and the fog and the intellectualism is the indication of a truly changed behavior. True changed behavior comes through understanding the text, the Holy Spirit opening up your eyes and you walking in the newness of life. Check out how Paul had to deal with two individuals who were once a part of a church community. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keep, keep, keeping the faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Not much is known regarding Hermanius and Alexander, but what is known about these men is that they were examples of shipwrecked faith. Some scholars record that Hermanius may be the heretic that Paul calls out in 2 Timothy. We also see a more personable pain that Paul experienced by Alexander in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. This is what uh, Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You see, what we see from the text is that the Lord's means of discipline for those individuals is much harsher than two warnings. They are handed over. They are let go. And the goal, friends, is to restore that brother or sister into right relationship with God if, if they have truly been called by God, chosen by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 says this, I have decided to turn such a person over to Satan. There it is again, for the destruction of his body so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. What is the result of right living? I'm gonna say it again. The question that we should be asking ourselves this morning is what is the result of right living? And if we've been walking through Titus' study together, we should know that the result of right living should be right teaching should be right living. 
that that is the result. That there should be good fruit that is displayed from the right teaching that is being taught in churches, more specifically these churches in Crete. And friends, the opposite is also true. That the result of false teaching leads to unprofitable and unproductive lives. What type of witness does this give people who are non-believers looking at the church? How does wrong living and wrong teaching make the gospel message attractive? See, false teaching not only makes the gospel non-attractive, but it leaves those who hear it and follow it self-condemned. Friends, if the gospel frees us from condemnation according to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, then a false gospel permits sin and keeps you slave to it. But understand how this self-condemnation comes about. It comes about because those individuals submit themselves to their own desires and their own truth, ultimately resulting in the fact of knowing that the Holy Spirit is not in them. See, they ultimately become condemned by their own actions and abuse the grace of God that has been richly shown to us all. Paul mentions this very thing in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? This is why we must warrant against false teaching and feel-good preaching. I'm going to say it again. This is why we have to be careful of who it is and what it is that we are hearing on television or anywhere else. I want to paint one more picture for us regarding false teaching and how serious we need to be about weeding it out and tearing it down within the church. Check out what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, regarding the result of false teaching. He said, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. There's that word again, avoid. Avoid these things. Why? Because they lead to further ungodliness. But check out what Paul mentions regarding what this type of talk does. He says it spreads like gangrene. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that, Gangrene is the death of body tissue due to a lack of blood flow or a serious bacterial infection. And I believe that this type of infection paints the most accurate picture of how false teaching corrupts believers. Here's a graphic that I want to show you really fast from Seven Orange Hospital to illustrate how it develops. What we see on the left at grade zero is, you see no open lesions. It, it, it almost looks as if nothing is wrong. And, 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 and it, it's very inconspicuous to the point that you don't even notice there's any change there, right? But then you look at stage one, you, you see some, something developing. It looks familiar. It, it looks like it could be something, but it's not quite there yet. You see that? 
And then as you move further along, by the time you get to stage two and stage three, stage five, the tissue has deteriorated. Things have fallen apart and now the bone is exposed. And friends, if this doesn't paint a picture for you, for what false teaching does, I don't know what will. False teaching starts off in this exact same way. Very subtle, very inconspicuous. It will look normal. It'll sound normal. It may even feel normal. Oh man, they're raising their hands too. They're lifting their hands. They're worshiping. They, oh, they said Jesus. Oh, they opened up the Bible. But over time, what ends up happening is the result that you see. You see, the apostle mentions that not being sound in the faith can cause your faith to be shipwrecked. <coughs> Friends, the gospel does not change. The word of God does not shift to and fro. The word of God stands forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You see, the followers of these false teachers, by the grace of God, are given the opportunity to repent, that first and second warning. And then they are given the opportunity, if they repent, to come back into community. However, if they do not repent, they're removed from the fellowship. They're removed from the fellowship because of the safety of the flock. That is the responsibility of the elders. That is the responsibility of pastor elder. That when they see false teaching creeping in, they are able to pick it out before it spreads and corrupts the body. Here Paul moves towards this closing remarks and personal concerns in verse 12 and 13. This is what he says. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Verse 13, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Verse 12 introduces us to some men that we did not previously know in the text. Uh, we come across uh, two men, Artemis and Tychicus. Uh, these two men, unlike the false teachers, were previously discussed, or who we previously discussed, are men that Paul is considering to take over for Titus while he is with Paul in Nicopolis. And I want to briefly contrast Artemis and Tychicus with that of Hermanius and Alexander because Artemis and Tychicus have not abandoned the faith. They've stayed true. They've been discipled. They're being sound in the faith. We see that Paul is mentioning to Titus that he will either send Artemis or he'll send Tychicus to relieve Titus of his duties. Now, one could imagine that uh, the weight and the responsibility that Titus had to take on here at Crete was an extremely heavy burden. And with Paul requesting Titus to come with him to Nicopolis would mean that someone faithful would have to replace him at that point. Now, we have to understand what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter, he, him mentioning these two names. Uh, in antiquity, you and I, would, they would call it then uh, what we know now as a letter of recommendation. Uh, that's simply individuals who are of high stature that are recommending an individual based upon what they've seen, their character, and who they are. 
In this case, Paul shares with Titus and this entire congregation at Crete that will be hearing this, that the one in whom will be taking over for Titus is not a B-team or C-team person. Yeah. Uh, when I was a teacher in high school, uh, one of the most interesting things that I witnessed was when another uh, teacher of record would not come to school because of whatever the case may be, maybe out sick or uh, interviewing for another job, I don't know. And, and they would have to take a substitute in. One of the interesting things is, is that those students knew what they could and could not get away with with a substitute teacher. Why? Because there's no person of authority or honor in that position. You're not my teacher. I don't have to listen to you. You're a substitute. And in this same way is exactly what Paul was going to be encountering with these false teachers. Could you imagine these false teachers hearing Titus reading this letter out loud? This gives them the opportunity to creep on in and continue to promote a false gospel, continue to cause others to have their faith shipwrecked. But Paul already is ahead of the game, y'all. I think you saw it in the text that Paul is having Titus read this out loud to let them know, listen, the person that Titus is going to be replaced with ain't no sucker. This is the real deal. And so don't try to come up on this guy thinking that you're going to be able to get past him and the responsibility. No, the same responsibility that Titus was given is the same responsibility that this person is given to. You can't pull a fast one over me. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. So Paul, as he's addressing this, He's wanting to make sure that Titus knows, listen, I want you to come with me to this place for a reason. And I, I want us to look a little further into that. Again, these two people, Artemis and Tychicus. Now, the text will let us know who is left by deducing in the text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It says, but I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So we know from that that actually Artemis is the one that is left at Crete. And Paul mentions this for a reason. He mentions this because if I'm leaving somebody here, and I want us to understand this, if Paul is leaving somebody there, that means that that person is equipped. That means that that person has been poured into Paul has taken his time with Artemis and Tychicus. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says this regarding this matter. The things which you have been uh, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Do you see that? Entrusting the work of ministry to faithful men requires that their lives have been observed and examined. Church planting is the same thing. That you're not going to have anybody just planting a church. That this is somebody whose life has been observed under that leadership for years. They've been poured into. They've been trained. They've been built up to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't mean that Artemis and Tychicus's life is perfect. It simply means that their lives are anchored under the sound teaching of scripture, under the text, and they are willing to submit to spiritual authority even when they're wrong. 
Not only are the lives of these men faithful to the text, but they're also faithful to the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. So the man that Paul, again, that will send to relieve Titus is a man that Paul has walked with, he has equipped them, he has trained them, and even when need be, will correct them. Now, again, we, we see this place, Nicopolis. Nicopolis, I want to pull up the map real fast so that you can see. So lower at the, at the bottom right end of the screen is where we see Crete. And Nicopolis is right here. So it's a bit of travel that Crete, uh, that Titus has to make in order to get there. And the name Nicopolis means city of victory. And it was the largest city of the northwest coast of the Ambracian Gulf off of the Adriatic Sea. Uh, this was ultimately a strategic place for Paul to continue furthering the gospel message further west. And who better to accompany Paul to establish this work of organization once again in a secular city than Titus himself. If there is something that we should see from this text this morning, friends, it is this. One, sound men must be taught well to accomplish the missional work of God in planting churches and leading churches. Two, we see that the work of sharing the gospel is never over. And three, active participation in gospel ministry provides opportunities to engage in the salvific work of God that God has orchestrated in eternity's past. Paul continues in verse 13 by saying, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Here we have it again. Other faithful men who have been faithful to the teaching of the apostles and committed to the faith. We, we know this because Paul has included their names into this letter. And check out what Paul tells Titus regarding their needs. He says, help Zenos and Apollos on their way so that they lack nothing. This language should be familiar to us. It's familiar because we just came through the book of Philippians with Pastor Mike. We became familiar with the church in Philippi that would be known for their participation in gospel ministry in their giving and their meeting needs. Paul mentions here to Titus and to those hearing the letter read aloud that the needs of these brothers are to be met. And Paul makes mention that they should lack nothing in their need. And what do we see here that Paul is doing? Here it is, he's giving these believers in Crete the opportunity to put into practice what they have learned, what they have seen, and what they believe. Not only does Paul provide examples of godly, faithful men before them in an incarnational manner, but he also shows them in practice how to serve felt needs. You see, we cannot be a church that is known by our theology, but not known by our love for one another. We cannot be a church that is known by our expository preaching, but yet we do not submit to church discipline and correction. We want to tell people what they need to do, but yet behind the scenes, we aren't even doing it ourselves. We can't just be a redeemed church called out by God, but yet not bear the fruit of a church that is marked by God. And Paul puts it on the table 
for the Christians here in Crete. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be a believer that lives in a way that reflects what Christ has done richly in you by his saving and redeeming power? Or are you going to enjoy the benefits of knowing you're saved without living like you're saved? I love how Paul leads right into verse 14. Paul says this, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unproductive. I think this is the hinging text for the entire part. Our people, meaning those in the body, a part of the ecclesia, a part of the fellowship, who have been saved and are following sound teaching, they must learn, they must learn to engage in good deeds. The word in the Greek here is mathanio. It simply means to learn by, to study, and to practice, and to experience. How can any of us learn if we never have been given the opportunity to exercise the ability to engage in gospel ministry. This is why when it comes down to um, people asking about taking a spiritual gifts test, it doesn't make sense because what God is requiring to you to do is just jump in the game and participate with the new life that you have. You don't have to take a test for it. If you're not good at this area, find another area to serve in. You will come to know how God has gifted you, not by mere exam, but by putting yourself to the test and participating in the Bible. How can you participate in the missional world, in the missional work of the Lord? You put your resources where your mouth is. Meeting needs. How can you, use, how can you see God impact the children in children's ministry? You get up, you go, and you volunteer. You see, there is a work to be done and there are heavenly rewards to be attained, but you'll never know until you get up, you get out, and you practice. It's like in grade school, when we were in math class, uh, in, in, in education, the, the pedagogical approach is the I do, you do, we do. I show you how to do it. We work through it together. All right, now you see it. All right, now I want you to do it by yourself. Paul is giving the Cretan church an opportunity to engage in the work of ministry by saying, let me get off of my butt and let me practice. If I've truly been saved and, and redeemed by the blood of Christ, I must be moved to go and be a doer of the word of God. Another need, friends, if you want to just think about us in context to our church, ask around. Ask your elders, hey, where's the need? Where can I serve? How can I get plugged in? Children's ministry has a great need for more volunteers. Guess how you can be able to participate in this work of salvation that God has given us the opportunity to participate in? Contact Sophie Smith and volunteer. Youth ministry, missions, Project 1027. There are opportunities for you to engage. Why? Because God's given you the ability to do so. And there's also some outside missions that you can be a part of as well. But the point is, serve. Why? You were saved not to sit. You were saved to serve your master, Jesus Christ. And you do that in obedience. Friends, if I were to make a pithy statement, I would simply say this. There is always fruitfulness 
and faithfulness. You want to see this redeemed life lived out? Continue to be faithful to the Lord. You want to see how the Lord can work in and through your heart? Continue to serve the needs of those who can't serve themselves. And watch what the Lord can do in your heart. And lastly, Paul ends in verse 15, and I'm out of your way. He says, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You have to love Paul's straightforwardness here in the text, and I hope you see it. He starts by saying, all who are with me that are growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ extend a warm greeting to you. But then he mentions the next part, and it's a bit funny. Greet those who love us in the faith. Clearly, Paul is only talking to the believers in those home churches. Paul is completely ignoring and removing any extension of love to these false teachers. You know what you're doing. So I'm talking to the people that truly love the Lord. If I were to extend anything to you is what I can imagine Paul saying. If I were to extend anything to you, it'd be a foot in the warm behind. But to those in whom I love, grace be to you. And you can feel the warmth and the genuineness of Paul's love for the Cretan churches who have stayed the course, who have been faithful even when it got hard, who have even when they began to hear false teaching, they would keep their ears covered up. Why? Because it was so, it was so important for them to follow what this said rather than what was being said. And you can see that the end, he says, grace be with you all. And friends, it is my prayer that each of us will continue to have eyes fixed on eternal things as Christ has promised us this eternal life. And it will be God's grace that keeps us in all things. And friends, I pray that you will also and always remember that too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your grace is so amazing. Lord, your grace keeps us. It convicts us. It shelters us. It loves us. It shows us when we're in error and it leads us into your kindness to know your truth. Look how we thank you that you have everything under control. There's nothing that comes to you by surprise. Help us to be a church that is centered on sound teaching, centered on sound doctrine, to be a people that not only grow in the word of God, but we be doers of the word of God. That in our doing of the word of God, that the people that are around us who may not know you may come to know you because they see our lives lived out because of what you have freely given to us. And God, I pray that that same grace continue to keep us until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You all have a blessed week.